Okay. Um, none of the kids are here. Well, the, the little kids are. Um, but the, the junior high and the high school are, where are they? They're over at this, what is it? Yeah, it's trampolines, broken wrists, you know, when you fall, that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so if it seems kind of slim around here, that's where everybody's at. Let's uh, pray, and then I want, I'm going to have to go back and pick up where we didn't get finished. Um, let's see, it would be two Wednesday nights ago. And then, you know, we had Dave Beck scheduled last week, and I had to, um, we just had to take him when we could get him. So, because he's on call a lot. <clears throat> and I, I don't know, we've lost um, several... OBGYNs here in town. We're kind of down, aren't we, Phil? Or do you keep track of that stuff? He's, I mean, he's on call, it seems like, a lot. Everybody is. So, anyway. So, we'll pick up um, where we were, it'd be two weeks ago, tonight. Let's pray before we get started. Father in heaven, <clears throat> we thank you that you are with us day in, day out. You don't desert us or forsake us. And we're grateful, Lord, that we have your word. We can know it. We can know you. We can hide your, your word in our hearts, walk by its light. And so, Lord, in every one of these ethical situations that we are looking at your of course your word is the ultimate and the authoritative so we pray that you would be with us this evening bless the kids and all that they're doing please keep them safe and be with us here i pray in jesus name amen <coughs> two weeks ago um we we got into <clears throat> the ethics, all that the Bible has to say about sexuality. We talked about, and God has a surprising amount to say. Um, and has set up quite a few very clear laws regarding its use, its purpose, and so forth. Um, and we got through um, God's purpose in marriage and so forth, and can't remember exactly where we were at, but we didn't get through that, that subject. Um, so I want to finish that tonight, and then, I don't know, Phil, we've got to get together and figure out. Um, I want to have... Dr. McMahill take a Wednesday night and we've got to kind of be careful because we don't have very many left. We've got to make sure we get our subjects in. Um, on end of life, <clears throat> the whole business of end of life care, um, artificially, you know, extending life, um, 
looking at some of the movements around the world, if you've read much at all, um, you know, there's, there's been for quite a while a, a move towards liberalizing euthanasia. Canada, um, I don't know how many of you, and I'm not going get to get too off here, but how many of you have read anything in the last, say, two, three weeks on Canada and euthanasia? Anybody? It's insane. Um, for not terminal diseases, mental health issues, depression, just whatever, including minors. Now, they backtracked, supposedly, on one issue, that they won't let a minor under 18 who only is diagnosed with a mental or emotional issue, not terminal cancer or whatever, they can't make that decision on their own. I think parents or a guardian or someone, if they okay it, still then a minor, a 16-year-old can, his girlfriend broke up with him and he's emotional, and so he can choose euthanasia. And you've got the government of Canada backing that. <coughs> Um, <clears throat> I don't know, there's times when, you, well, you just kind of can't believe some of the things that are cropping up and the things that we're um, encountering. Anyway, um, so that is a whole issue. And we want to take some time, that's on my list of ethical issues to, to study. So um, we'll do that fairly quickly here. But let's finish <clears throat> um, the whole issue of God's, not only we, we've dealt with a purpose, but God's laws regarding and fencing in what I mentioned two weeks ago is probably many people think that the the attraction to the opposite sex which God created is probably um, generally the strongest drive we have. The perpetuation of the race is at risk there. I mean, that's a purpose for it. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but given the fact if we assume that that is the strongest desire, now maybe hunger and thirst physically, you know, would become prominent if you didn't have any food. Um, but assuming that that's the or one of the strongest drives, um, I think that's why we see all through Scripture and we see in history, including ours now, that sexual sin is the most intense and radical, and um, I can hardly come up with, with some of the words that I need. Um, it's just like snarling, snapping heathen hyenas. I mean, that's what the groups were, were dealing with. 
If you saw the federal judge at Stanford that was heckled and whatever by a bunch of people over LBGT, LMNOP, QRAS, TUV, you know, plus, plus, minus, plus. Um, it, it's it's mind-boggling. And I, you look at it, you think it's, it's, it's crazed. Not it's crazy, but it's crazed. It's, it's just insane. Um, every desire, drive, need that God built into us in creation, of course, always becomes bloated, twisted, fevered by sin. And they always, every drive ends up going to excess when you factor in the infection of sin. But it seems that um, this, especially in our day today, is the worst. Now, let me demonstrate that, I guess, from Scripture. If we look at Romans 1, and obviously that's a long chapter and we're not going to look at the whole thing. <clears throat> but we'll begin, um, well, I'll read kind of fast. Start with verse 18. Um, and there are several levels in Romans 1 of where depravity, wickedness got worse and worse. And it reached such a level that God said, I gave them over to a reprobate mind. I gave them over to work wickedness and so forth. And then there'll be a number of verses that will record even worse things. And then there's a second thing where when it says, and God gave them over. Um, the, Romans 1 is the picture that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, painted of the wretchedness um, and the depths of depravity of the human race. And there's a wonderful pattern in the book of Romans. Chapters one, chapter one starts out, and Paul, with a fairly short introduction, then takes us in Romans one in just, it's like going down into um, an underground mine, and it just keeps going of how wicked the human heart and society has become. Then, and, and, the, and in that, he's describing those without God, the Gentiles, not the Jews, yet. Um, those who never had the scripture. Then, after taking us clear down to how could it get any worse, you get chapter 2. And chapter 2 says, now, you Jews who hold your nose at what these Gentiles are doing, aren't you doing the same thing? In fact, in some cases you're worse because you have such light. To Jews were given the oracles of God, the word of God. He revealed himself, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and all the thousands of years of God caring for the nation of Israel, bringing them out of slavery, bringing them to um, the promised land, all of that, yet they still rebelled against God and even put on the cross 
God's son, who he sent to them, who he'd been saying he was going to send him for thousands of years. So chapter 2, after you can almost see the, the more religiously knowledgeable people, the Jews, standing off to the side saying, take that, you Gentiles, you heathen. You just got told off. Well, then Paul turns the cannon towards them and hits them hard in chapter 2. Concludes chapter 2 with that God has concluded all under sin and basically takes all Jews and Gentiles. Chapter 3, talking more about the evil of the heart and so forth. Then he gets into chapter 4, which is justification by faith, not by works. As Abraham believed God and he accounted him for righteousness, 5, 6, 7, he talks about the sin, not a sin or sins, but in 5.12, the article shows up with the word sin, the, the little word the. So from 5.12, clear to the middle of 8, he's talking about the sin, the principle of sin, the inherited depravity of the human heart. Then, when you get to 8, he finishes 7 and 8, um, that there's atonement, there's cleansing, there's victory, so forth. Then things shift a bit more to, then how do we live this out? Um, how do we live in this, in this world? Um, so, we're only going to be looking at part of, of chapter 1, which is not an encouraging chapter, okay? But there are chapters that follow that have the remedy for this. So, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Can't, I can't stop and say too much about this, but it lets us know that God's faithful to every single human being to get some light of right and wrong and conscience to them. <clears throat> he concludes or, or carries this argument out, for since the creation of, uh, of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. This is people who don't have the scripture. Don't have a Bible. He said there's enough light about God and what he's like, even in creation. And the design and the perfection, precision of this universe we see. There has to be, there has to be a God, a designer. <clears throat> For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know what the word fool means? You know, G Jesus said, don't, don't call somebody fool. You'll be in danger of hellfire. Well, the word there is worthless. He said, don't ever call anybody worthless. And that's true. There isn't anybody that's worthless. God died for them. But, 
this is, there's a couple words for fool. It doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. It rather means basically someone who is arrogantly unteachable. It literally means will not lay to heart, receives no instruction, receives no rebuke. You can't teach him, you can't talk to him. So in the proper sense, the word fool isn't, isn't a mental uh, a term about mental well-being. It's moral. It's a moral term. Now, <clears throat> they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, here's one of those statements, gave them over, God gave them over, in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Can anybody think of any um, thing going on today where we worship the creature more than the creator? And I, let me throw this in. And are fools? Yeah, the fool on Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's there, you know. Yeah. And isn't that a, a, a sign of one of the, isn't that one of the gods? Is, is kind of like a bowl. Yeah, there's all, yeah. I think Baal or something. Well, oh, and what is it, oh, not Osiris. Um, Baal was, let's put it this way. Baal, um, since we're in mixed company, <laughs> Baal, there's a, Baal's a male god, Asher, Asherim, female god okay and the idols were certain body parts okay that's all i'll say that's how filthy degraded scummy um those doctrines those those worships uh were um the the climate insanity this couples thing, two things. One, that we love the creature, you know. It, if you go to Oregon, I suppose, last time I've been out, there's been a while. But, you know, there's always bumper stickers. A picture of the globe. Love your mother. They're, they're insane. Um, they, they, you know, they're, they're gone. <laughs> um, but... To combine loving the creature more than the creator, we don't acknowledge the creator at all. We love the creation, and we are fools, full-blown fools. We cannot even predict with any kind of accuracy good enough weather to have the company picnic, but we're going to change the entire climate, and we're going to save the planet. Um, I probably shouldn't get off on all that. John Kerry is one of the dumbest people currently alive. He really is. He's dumber than a rock, and he's also a total fraud. Um, I still remember him coming home, testifying before Congress in his military, you know, he was a corporal or something. Um, 
and he had three purple hearts. You get three purple hearts, three wounds in Vietnam, you gotta come home early. Well, he was a rich kid and he was over there. He got, I think it was one hangnail, one scratch and a skinned knee and those were three purple hearts and he got to come home. And so then he led all of these con congressional hearings about, you know, how bad everything was. Um, we should get out and we were horrible people and whatever. Um, and he has been, he has been an absolute um, drain on society ever since. I mean, if there's ever seen anybody that's a non-contributor to anything, it's him. Um, maybe one more person worse I read just two days ago. Um, what was it? Well, we're going to get rid of, AOC says we're going to get rid of two things. I think one was just fossil fuel, but the other one's we're going to get rid of airplanes. So, as you take the train to Hawaii. Um, but those are fools. You know what? They are biblically identified. They're fools. And we are inundated with that kind of thinking nowadays. Where we exalt ourselves, professing ourselves, as he just said, to be wise, we've become fools. Now, 24. <clears throat> Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored. They exchanged the truth of God for lie and so forth. 26. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function which for that which is unnatural or against nature is um, a way uh, to interpret it. If you have a footnote, footnotes in your Bible, it may say that it's against nature. It's just not unnatural. It's contrary to it. It flies in the face of nature. <clears throat> let me, let me um, look back. This is a New American Standard that I'm reading from in 26 where in the uh, New American Standard says degrading. God gave them over to degrading passions. What other versions? In, anybody have NIV or, or what do you have? NIV is here. What's what's it say? Okay, that that's, they, they must have just skipped clear over that. Um, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function. Does it say anything at all? Shameful lusts. Okay, that, that's not good. I mean, that isn't strong enough. It, it, the King James uses the word vile. Vile affections. And the word vile there, um, it, it's, it sounds like, well, the word affections is both, that's desires, feelings. But 
there, they, it, it seems that they are coupled to acts, okay? Vile affections, you know, prompt vile deeds, okay? Um, but the word vile affections there really is, um, it's not an active, it produces action, but it is a, an infected, um, putrid condition of heart out of which those kinds of, of desires come and are carried out. Okay? So it's a, it's a real strong statement here of just utter filth. Okay? Then, when you look at the next verse, 27, And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing, the New American Standard here says, indecent acts and the, um, what the footnote reading is, the shameless deed. Committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, the word here in 27, it's natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. The word there, burned in their desire, the word that's translated that, this is the only place it's used in the New Testament. And it is the strongest possible word for a drive. And it, uh, a kind of a long translation is a burning drive that forces its host, which is the person, to reach out and grab the object of its desire. Okay? Way, 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 way back, when I, I don't know, it was probably the 80s or whatever, when you had a few teachers start showing up that, you know, were gay and come out of the closet and all this, and parents would talk about, I don't want, I don't want someone that may be, you know, going after my children. And of course that was just laughed clear off the stage. That verse and God's usually ahead of stuff. <laughs> that word he uses is a word that is so strong that, that people are just driven to reach out and grab the object of their lust. It then is not stupid or, you know, fear-mongering to say, to be concerned about grooming and so forth. God uses that word. And, it, and again, it, it reflects what I said earlier about a, just a completely unbridled mania. It's just unregulated, uncorralled, that's what we have. That's what we have. 
Now, in 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, here's that phrase again, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, this being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. They come up with stuff that you never thought of. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Man. And although they, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Isn't that the day we're in? We not only, nobody has any shame anymore. In fact, it's the opposite. We give hearty approval to the latest depravity. This, I tell you what, if Paul came to candidate at most churches to vote on whether they wanted him for the preacher, if he, if he went through Romans 1, they'd never vote him in. Um, this, is, this is in pretty much all of Scripture. The most uh, depraved picture um, of the the human heart and what it's capable of. Um, can't remember the guy's name. Um, he was a he was a German, and this was in the seventies. They were still the Jews were still managing to pick up um, hiding Nazis. Most of them in Argentina. And Adolf Eichmann, I don't know if everybody remembers that whole story about um, how Israel flew over, and I believe he was in Argentina, and they stalked him for a long time, checked it, and he was just a nobody underground, but he had, he had presided over hundreds of thousands of Jews, was a leader in the Nazi uh, extermination of the Jews. And they figured out his patterns, where he worked, when he got off the bus, where, I mean, they just had it down. And he, you know, took the bus home, got off, walked the block to his little apartment. Only he never made it to the apartment because the, um, the Jewish, you know, the Israeli um, secret service or whatever you'd call them, uh, picked him up, took him out, out to the edge of town where they had a plane ready to go and they took him back to Israel where he stood trial. Um, and as the horrid things he did were pictures put up on screens and so forth um, there in um, Israel where they tried him. Um, I read this in a book written by Charles Colson. I don't know if anybody knows who he is. But a German officer, someone, was called to testify against Eichmann. And he was standing or sitting, whichever, on the witness stand. 
And they ushered, you know, with guards and so forth and, and shackles, they bring Eichmann in. And he passed within five feet of this witness. And this man dropped to his knees, this witness dropped to his knees, weeping. And people thought, well, it was probably because, you know, he'd, he knew what he had done and all brought back memories and so No, he said that wasn't it. He said the horror of all of that that he did when he said Eichmann walked that five or six feet away from him this is amazing he said I looked at him and I saw the lines in his face and his eyes and his hair and his hands and he said he's a man and I'm a man just like him and I fear I'm I'm capable in the depths of a bad heart to be that wicked. That's quite an acknowledgement. But he recognized somehow that the the depths of the human heart without without Christ and without grace is capable of anything. That's what we see described here. Now, um, this is why I think there is such feverish promotion of all kinds of aberrant, deviant sexual behavior. Um, all we do as human beings with infected hearts, infected with rebellion, is find out what God doesn't want us to do and then insist on doing it. That's the human heart. The best way, you go back a number of years, I remember when you know movies would come out and they're rated R or whatever, N17, whatever they were. Um, meaning, this is, this is not good, don't go to it. Every kid I knew that was in high school, they went to it, you know? Even if they weren't 17, they got somebody that lied and said, he's with me. The best way to sell raunchy, you know, movies or back in the day CDs or whatever else is just tell people they're horrible and shouldn't, you shouldn't have anything to do with it. Okay, they'll do it. Where does that come from? Well, it's cultural. No, it's not cultural. Well, it's an independent. We're independent in America. No, we're sinful. Um, Quick little thought, little illustration. Way back when we, we were living in Oregon, um, just had Jonathan and Stephen, and, and we borrowed Liz's parents' motorhome and drove it back to Indiana where all our relatives were. And um, we were near Fort Wayne, and Fort Wayne had kind of a cheap little zoo, wasn't much to write home about, but you know, what does a, a five year old and a, you know, or a six and a four year old know? So we took him to the Fort Wayne Zoo. And, um, you know, it wasn't a horrible zoo, but it wasn't, like I said, no big deal. Of course, they all had enclosures, lots and lots of fencing, lots and lots of, you know, um, like cyclone fencing. Um, and I noticed something. 
for smaller animals, you know, there'd be a pretty small little enclosure. They'd have an outdoor portion of it and it'd be, you know, fenced. And maybe it was only 10 by 10 or something. This was, I do remember um, a badger <laughs> and his wife. <laughs> um, and people were gathered around watching. They were just fighting, just snarling and screaming and carrying on and, you know, baring their teeth and just going nuts. And, of course, you could hear people talking about, you know, they, it, was a, it was a pair, um, male and female. And, of course, you hear people talking about, well, <laughs> you know, that's what I hear of my wife and that kind of stuff. But anyway, then we'd go to some fences that were acres, larger animals. And I began to notice a pattern. I don't care where you were at, how small the animals were, the enclosure, big the animals were, whatever. And it didn't matter how much room they had in their enclosure compared to their size. At the height of whatever animal it was, there was just, um, you could see just a line of all around the fencing of fur where they you know, they press up against the fence trying to, trying to push the fence, push the boundaries. Didn't matter if it was 10 by 10 or it was 10 acres by 10 acres. They had 10 acres. They're at the fence and they're pushing against it and there's just fur in it from the continuous pressing against whatever the boundary was. It, and if you'd have stretched that out and given them 30 miles, They'd have been at the fence, rubbing fur into the fence. That's even in the animal kingdom. Wherever the fence is, I'm pushing against it. That's the human heart. So God, in these three times here, he says, I gave them over. I, I let them have their way, finally, to their detriment. Anyway, um, we are another thing we notice about pushing at the boundaries the human heart is never satisfied at the toppling of a barrier it just feeds it feeds the frenzy even more they won a victory there you know the fence they, made, they got more room they're more fiendish to tear down the next fence, and the next fence. It, of course, you know, I, I reached a place, I can't remember exactly, you know, how many years ago, but I was to the place where, especially being in Oregon for a while was, um, they were nuts. <clears throat> um, in 1973, that's a long time ago, okay, in 1973, they were so far gone in 1973 when I started pastoring, hadn't even gone to seminary yet. Portland announced, well, we had the first gay pride um, um, parade in Portland in 1973, and they were just about six months late from San Francisco. So, I mean, they were giving San Francisco a run for the money. And... Um, in 1973, the chief of police announced, if you remember way back then, there was this mantra that 10% um, of the world's population, 10% are homosexual, 
They're born that way. So in 1973, Portland City Police announced, we're going to recruit 10% until we have 10% of all of our police officers are openly gay. So I pastored in that way, way back, that kind of an atmosphere. I got to where if somebody came in, and I, I'm sort of exaggerating, <laughs> sin's not good of any kind, but when I found out if someone came in that they, you know, their, their son or their daughter who were 17 were sexually active and it was with somebody of the opposite sex, I was relieved. <laughs> Seriously. I was thinking, well, at least it's sinful but it's normal. I mean, that's where we're at. Now, um, like everything else that the devil does, um, he does his best to incrementally tear down God's laws. Um, the devil is one thing we can never accuse the devil of, and that's being stupid. He understands human nature. And he knows, and frankly, I think the devil himself hates outlandish, sudden, terrible sin. Because it sets off an alarm even in here. Your conscience thinks, well, wow, wait a minute. That's over the line. He, rather, he would rather have us be as the proverbial fog, a frog in a kettle of water, that you just turn the heat up and you just, he doesn't even get it until he's boiled. And that's how so much of what we're dealing with today has encroached on us gradually to where the church in many ways hasn't figured it out, doesn't know how to react to it, and we are so intimidated by the world around us that we are haters um, you know, we're cruel, we're whatever. To disagree is to hate. All the language has changed. To, um, to avoid hating, being a hater, you have to celebrate, affirm, I mean just giddily um, support without any Second thoughts, it doesn't matter what. We've got to be just jumping up and down approval. Um, or anything short of that is hate. So a huge amount of the American church has wanting to appear compassionate. That's the big word. We back off what we end up doing is we, we just quietly scoot God's doctrines off to the side and ignore them. Now, anybody, you've, you've read, I'm sure, just the last few days, um, maybe, well, it was on the news today, this school in Arizona, Christian school, that's for 25 years or a long time, had a contract for their um, teaching degree students 
to go to the adjoining school district in Phoenix and they have a contract with this Christian college that they could all do their student teaching in their public school system. Um, and they had a contract and it, everything was fine. And um, some people got onto the school board and one of them, um, I don't know if you have followed this at all, but one of them identified, I think one of the words she used, let's see, she's, she's She's biracial, bisexual. Um, she did use the term, uh, what was it? Anyway, basically that she's, she's nuts. I mean that she's, she used a word, something to do with, um, you know, mentally damaged or something. Um, but she, and she likes cat ears and things that sparkle. Um, and she's wearing cat ears sitting up there and anyway she made the motion and I guess that there were four of seven on the board who were LGP, LMNOP, QRST group. They voted to sever that contract with that Christian school because they said they are Christian and they will not allow the teaching in favor of the LBGT movement into their school, into their curriculum. They're a Christian school. And they've, they've, they have severed their contract. So now that Christian school is trying to figure out where can we send people. This is the day we're in. And we're, I know this. Um, God, God does not want us to go out in lynching parties. Okay, we know that. But at the same time, to expect that to be what they define as compassionate will get you nowhere. I don't care what you concede, they got something else that you've got to concede on. We're not going to win by backing off of the biblical truth um, on all of this craziness. God has spoken to it. He's addressed it. He knew this was coming down the road, and he's seen it. Who knows how many times God has seen all of this in past nations and cultures and generations. This is new to him. And his laws don't change. We can't. We, we don't have any authority to amend and edit Scripture. Just all there's to it. I read, sadly, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury. This is only two or three days ago. Archbishop of Canterbury. Anglic the head of Anglicanism all throughout the globe. Um, and he just declared that same-sex marriages will be performed and, and you know, same-sex married people will still be priests in the Anglican church and so forth. Um, the dominoes just, just keep falling. And we're going to be, uh, we're gonna have to make a choice. Do we stand with God's truth his infallible word, 
that never changes? Um, or do we compromise? That's really where we're at. Now, I got to move on with some other thoughts here. Um, one thing, a question that comes to a lot of us, and um, I, I would say that, uh, I don't know for sure, but most of us here probably have somebody in extended family or whatever um, that is into the homosexual lifestyle. Um, what do you do with them? I mean, when you go to the family reunion or they want to have, they, you get an invitation to the same-sex marriage, what do you do? Those are things that, listen, I've had people in the office saying, what do I do? Um, I don't want to lose contact with them, but obviously this is what God said. I can't go to something that's an offense to God. Um, well, not being cold-hearted at all. But I think we forget a lot of scripture and some of the very, when I say hard sayings, I don't mean that Jesus was being harsh, but they're tough to swallow for us, but we better swallow. Jesus said, and I think he meant it, if you don't love me more than your mother, your father, your children, your wife, your money, your possessions, and he says, your own life. You can't be my disciple. Now, he meant that. That means um, I have a niece that um, has just gone clear off the deep end <coughs> and was in um, college sports. She got a... She got a full ride to a Division I college <coughs> basketball. Um, and <coughs> I just had some sense about her. I didn't know what was going on. But I didn't see her that often because um, we live out here. She's back in the East Coast. But pretty soon it comes out, and then she's got this girlfriend, and then she had a wedding. Well, I knew I wasn't going to have to bother with an invitation. <laughs> okay. Um, neither my brother, um, n nobody else, you know, I was just thankful my parents are gone. Um, but there was some back and forth, what do we do? I, I don't mean to sound like I'm just heartless. I didn't have a lot of angst over it. She knows better. She grew up under my dad's preaching. Under I could give you a list. She heard Richard Taylor preach. She read Richard Taylor's books. Um, there's no excuse. And I never was, saw her just a year ago, visited with her and stayed off of the subject, of course, and just was decent to her. I think you've got to be decent somewhat. Um, but you cannot, you can't tolerate that. You cannot be a part of it. Um, you can't go celebrate something that God created. And it's a type and an illustration 
of the believer and Christ. And marriage has been turned into that? There's no way in the world I'm going to do that. If they get mad, they probably ought to get over it because I'm not changing. That's really where we have to get to. The truth of God, well, there's this great little verse Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. God's always true, and I have to go with his word. We don't have to do it, you know, viciously at all, but we have to do it. Now, a couple questions. A lot of people, of course, are to, well, you're born that way. Is homosexuality biological? Others think, well, it's cultural slash environmental, meaning, well, you know, I I was raised by two gay parents or whatever. Um, How can I help? This is what I saw. Um, What do I do? Um, This is just who I am. Or... Is it rooted in the sinful nature? That's the key. Now, what does the Bible say? For time's sake, we won't turn to it, but Mark, 7th chapter. Jesus used an occasion where the Pharisees were picking at his disciples because they didn't ceremonial wash their hands, ceremonially wash their hands like the Jews were prescribed, and I think I've mentioned that before, but they were so meticulous about eating with clean hands that they had, they poured, they washed their hands, and the rinse water had to be poured on the tips of their, you know, fingers and hands, and run down, hold up like this, run down and drip off the elbow, because if you just did it like we do, and you just washed, and then, I don't know, like my grandson does at our house, you know, so it's all over the kitchen. Um, the tips of your fingers were where the, the washed, the dirty water that you washed with left. So the tips are not clean. And so then if you eat, not washing your hands like this, but just like we do, you're eating unclean, you're unclean. And they were picking at the disciples over that. Jesus said, look. And what they ought to eat and what they shouldn't eat. And Jesus said, what goes in to you is not what defiles you. He said, it's what it comes out. It's what defiles you. For, he said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember the old pressure cookers? This dates me. They had that, you know, when the pressure got to a certain point. Okay, Jesus is saying, my mouth is my heart's pressure valve. What is, he, and he said, out of the abundance of the heart, what the heart is full of comes out of here. Then he said, further, out of the heart, he said, comes Adultery, fornication, murder, blasphemy. And the scripture there, Mark says, and all kinds of sexual and every kind of sexual immorality. Okay? 
So Jesus said, it comes out of the heart. It's not biological. It's not genetic. You aren't born that way. It comes out of here. Now, if it comes out of there, well, let's back up. If, it come, if it's biological, if I'm just this way, I'm transgender, I'm this or whatever, um, then you have, we have, seriously, a monster for a god. If I have a biological or genetic condition and God says I can't go to heaven because of that, he said in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said, I've told you before that those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They can't go to heaven. I'll end up in hell. Now, what kind of a God who professed to love us would pronounce you damned and doomed to hell for a biological or genetic condition. He can't be God and be like that. So the condemnation that he pronounces and the words of Jesus settle it that all kinds of immorality are rooted in the, a sinful heart. Now, let me put it to this, to put this to uh, this way. The truth is that's good news. It's good news. If it's biological, I don't know what to do about it. But it isn't. It's sin. And there's a remedy for that. It's the atonement. Jesus died, he said, to destroy the works of the devil. He can do that. In my individual heart, he can purify my heart and give me victory over whatever. So the actual good news is the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. If we can identify something scripturally as sin, we're in good shape. <laughs> Because there's a remedy for it. Now, let me finish with this. Backtracking on nothing. Contradicting myself, not at all. But everybody seems to have what we could call out of Hebrews a besetting sin. Okay? I mean, not everyone has the same particular brand of sin that they seem to be drawn to or inclined to. We all know, we'll say so-and-so, you know, that whole family, three generations, they're all alcoholics. Um, and I think that there are cases where there are certain kinds, certain species, if you want to call it, of sin that we are temperamentally, um, personality-wise, vulnerable susceptible to okay just like I think addictions and things of that sort can be you can have tendencies that way I think that it is since sexual aberrations is sin and we're all born with a sinful nature 
there are certain kinds of inclinations that are more prominent in one than in someone else, okay? I don't believe that means you're born a homosexual. I don't believe that for a second. But I think there can be some tendencies. However, since the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, those tendencies or, or the tendencies to a thousand other kinds of sins and behaviors is fixable. God can cleanse my heart of that and give me victory. So the bad news is there's, there's no escaping. We can't blame birth or environment or whatever else. It's sin. But the good news is God's the victor over sin. And he can cleanse our hearts. I, I know people who have been radically delivered from a homosexual, even a lifestyle, let alone inclinations, but saved and hearts purified and total victory. God, God can do that. That's not hard for him. Now, any fast questions, comments, brilliant statements anybody wants to make? Nothing left? <laughs> either, either it's hopeless um, or it's so clear that, yeah, Phil. Yeah, 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 the, you're exactly right. The whole, the is, Israel was, you know, God's plan for them was that they be the world's evangelists, that they would take the word of God and then the reception of Jesus and they would be the evangelizers of the globe. And God turned to the Gentiles because they condemned themselves by rejecting Christ. So, um, there, of course, there are many that believe in it. I don't know. I hope it does happen. Um, the conversion of the Jews, that they'll someday come back. Um, but nevertheless, um, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, what the days bring. <clears throat> All right. Anything else before we go? All right. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. And um, what, what, let's see. What's, what's the date today? This is the 15th, right? So, okay. Now, 22nd is spring break, and we're not here next week. Okay. Kids are gone. Most of our volunteers. So we don't meet next Wednesday night. 
Then the Wednesday night after that, maybe you and I, maybe we can do the end of life, um, which I think that's interesting. Um, lots of questions there. So anyway, um, don't forget that we won't be here next week. Father in heaven, thank you for the Bible that gives us light, guides us. We're not left our own devices to try to figure out what's the best way to go and listen to all of the, the babble that we hear. But your, your word is plain, clear, and it leads us in the way that we ought to go. Keep us, we pray, safe and bring us back Sunday, we pray, to join together once again in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.